In the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, it's a great joy to be here with you, St. Andrews. Um, I haven't been here for quite a while. Um, worshiping indoors. I've been outdoors with you, I think, my last two visits. And it is wonderful to be here in your beautiful sanctuary with you again. Now, when you read a story or you watch a movie, what character do you tend to identify with? Do you tend to feel like the hero or the heroine, the one who's maybe on an epic quest to defeat evil? Or do you maybe identify with the sarcastic uh, sidekick, the one with the heart of gold? Or maybe do you have a sneaky wish to identify with the evil mastermind? <laughs> well, I love stories, and in different stories I identify with different kinds of people. But what's interesting to me today is that I've been thinking about dreams. And I'm fascinated by dreams, which are the stories that our own minds tell us. Now supposedly, I don't know if this is true or not, but when you dream, supposedly every character in the dream is you. So you're the one running down the street, not sure where you're going, not able to run as fast as you want to. You are the two people who suddenly appear running alongside you. You're that mean man who slams on his brakes and honks at you. You're the yellow dog with the big blue bow. You're the tree with the big red flowers that you end up dancing around. You are all of these characters in your dream. And to understand the dream, you have to figure out what part of you each one of those characters is speaking to. But we can look at the parables of Jesus like this. Jesus' parables are these carefully constructed stories that always have a twist. And Jesus' parables are intended to surprise us and to challenge us and to change the way that we look at the world and at God. And as we look at Jesus' parables, Jesus challenges us to discover ourselves in them too. To ask where we are in the story. And what God wants us to understand about God and about ourselves and about our own journey of faith. And I think in many of Jesus' parables, we can discover some way in which every character is us. So with that in mind, let's look at today's parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector and see where we can find ourselves and where we can find God. Now, in, in this parable today, there are two people present. There's a Pharisee, a good religious person, and there is a tax collector, a well-known sinner. Now, people who read the, the Bible and are always thinking everything is very solemn, sometimes tend to miss the humor in the Bible. So this is one of Jesus' kind of funny stories where <laughs> here's this guy standing there saying, Oh, God, thank God I'm not like other people. Look at all those terrible people. Think of 
about this parable. Here is Jesus speaking to a group of well-behaved, sincerely religious people and saying to them that the good, the good guy is not the one who's going to be justified. It's the bad guy. Surprise! And, well, which one of these people do we see ourselves in? Let's take a look at that. So first, the Pharisee. Now we're trained after centuries and millennia of Christendom to believe that any Pharisee must be a bad guy. But this would not be the case for the people listening. For them, the Pharisees were the good guys. And they were good. In a country that had been conquered by Rome, where all the Roman corrupt ways were threatening Israel's distinctiveness and their religion and their way of life. The Pharisees stubbornly held on to the way of life that God had given to them as a gift. This way of life that, that was a big part of their core Jewish identity and that set them apart from, from Jews and others who had capitulated to the Roman way of doing things. So the Pharisees dressed in Jewish style. They stubbornly obeyed the, the inconvenient Jewish laws. They kept themselves free from corruption. They devoted themselves to studying the Bible. They truly lived their lives in devotion to God. So when the Pharisee does this little comedy routine, saying, oh God, thank you that I'm not like other people, and starts listing his good qualities, he is absolutely telling the truth. He is a good man. He's religious, devoted, generous, faithful to his responsibilities. Well, the tax collector is telling the truth, too. He is a sinner. If we had lived in Jesus' time, we would have no use for someone like him. We would fear and despise him. He is not just a collaborator with Rome, collecting taxes from the Jewish people to finance their own oppression. It's worse than that. Because Rome would tell the tax collectors how much they needed to turn over to Rome, but it was up to the tax collectors to collect whatever they wanted from the people. As long as they gave the correct cut to Rome, they were free to extort anyone they wanted to in order to make themselves rich. A tax collector was a person who got rich by greed and corruption and by robbing the poorest of the poor. So where do we see ourselves now? The Pharisee and the tax collector. Well, let's go a bit deeper. So what is it exactly that the Pharisee does wrong and the tax collector does right? Well, the Pharisee is telling the truth. He tithes, he fasts, he pays careful attention to his spiritual disciplines and to living a good and ethical life. These are good things. He does the things that God expects of all of us. Worship, prayer, generosity, participation in God's mission through the temple. We are all called to do all of these things. But the problem is obvious if you listen to his prayer. His prayer is all about him. He says, I thank God that I'm not like this other guy. He says, I'm honest, I do this, I do that. His prayer is all about himself. 
His prayer has very little in common with the kind of prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. The Lord's Prayer, which opens with glorify God, it continues with your kingdom come, your will be done. It asks for basic daily needs after that. Jesus teaches us to pray for the bare minimum and trust that God loves us, that God's will is to bring God's kingdom to earth, and that God will take care of us. There is no sense of that kind of trust and hope in the Pharisees' prayer. He has nothing to regret. He has nothing to repent. What he has, he has done by himself. He has not opened himself to God's justification. He has not allowed himself to be reconciled to God because he doesn't even recognize the need. He has it all already. The tax collector, on the other hand, knows that he has nothing. He throws himself completely on the mercy of God. He says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So what does he know that this good and righteous Pharisee doesn't know?
and then she stopped. And she must have seen something in my face because she said, you look like you could use a special blessing. And she blessed me right there. And to me, it felt like the clouds had opened up and Jesus' hand had reached down and touched my shoulder and said, I am with you. I am always with you. And it changed my life. It is moments like that, in the church more often than not, that have absolutely convinced me of the power of faith. Absolutely convinced me that Jesus is real and he is risen from the dead. Assured me without question that Christ is with me always and that Jesus calls me to live a life the best I can of love. That for me is the kind of slow unfolding of a life of faith, the kind of slow realization that it's not all up to us, that it's up to God, that comes to many of us. That spiritual life may begin in our baptism, and we're going to have a baptism today. But every day, we open ourselves to the grace and the love of God, like the tax collector did. If we realize that we cannot save ourselves, that we have to allow God to save us and lead us and teach us to love, then we grow into the promise of our baptism. And every day, we come to know and love God more. And as we grow in love, yes, we begin to do the kind of good things that the Pharisees did, that that Pharisee did, and that all the Pharisees did. They were good people. Out of love, because we follow Jesus. But more than that, the love that God gives us then begins to overflow to the people around us. For us, our, our faith, our baptism, our journey of love that calls us to follow Jesus also sends us out to love others and to invite them to share that blessing too. Because our baptism into Christ's body does not only transform our interior spiritual lives, it transforms our outward lives in this world too. It makes us servants of this world which means that if we are concentrating too hard on ourselves, if we are thinking we can do everything by being perfect ourselves and judging others as being outcast or not good enough, then maybe that means that we have forgotten that the heart of the Christian life is love. Our baptism into Christ's body is a sign that Jesus offers us relationship, love, abundance, transformation, and what he asks from us in response is that we live into a new identity where followers of Jesus are defined and transformed and set free by our relationship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is a gift given to us in our baptism and in our worship in church as we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that empowers us for love and ministry in the world. The mission that God gives us is to join in Christ's work of seeking and inviting others to share in God's blessing, to join Jesus in sharing God's love with the world that so needs love. We are loved. 
We are cared for. We are cherished. And that has implications for us. It means wherever we go and whatever we do, God is there with us. Many people have suffered in their lives. Most of us have suffered one way or another through the pandemic that limited so many things that we valued, so many people lost their lives. We look around at the world and we're heartbroken by mass shootings. We're, we're watching in horror the war in Ukraine. We're deeply divided as a country. Some of us fear losing our democracy. In our world today, people are tired and weary and broken. And it is tempting sometimes to despair. Yet even when we are isolated and fearful, even when the pandemic has felt like a long, dark night, even when we are deeply anxious about the state of the world, our baptism means that we are part of Christ's body. Jesus has sought us out and found us. We are not alone. We are beloved. And because we have been loved, we have love to share. It's our mission to love. Jesus calls us to love. We must love. And love is what changes this world. Love is what gives us strength to care for a world in pain. Love is what inspires you here at St. Andrews to feed the hungry, to share God's love with strangers and friends, to proclaim good news to the poor. Love is what gives us the courage to share with others the good news of God's love. Love is what gives you the words to speak to others who need to hear that good news. Love is what brings our diocese to this year of evangelism. Love is what brings us together today for worship. Love is what will bring presiding Bishop Curry to San Diego in December for the Good News Festival, and I hope you all will come and bring a friend. Because that love is worth sharing. People need to know the good news of that love. People need to experience it and realize that life has joy and meaning. People need to hear your story of faith, your story of belovedness. Love gives you a mission. Because this suffering, conflicted world does not have enough love. So whoever we are, and whatever we've done or not done, whether we are the Pharisee or the tax collector, or more likely, some of both, at different times in our lives. In God's kingdom, we are welcomed. We are loved. And we have love to share. So let us share it. Because wherever we are, 